Hey, everybody, I'm Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in downtown Waterloo, Iowa. I'm joined, as always, by the Track Wrestling Rankings ace, David Mirkatani. It's been a long couple weeks, David. How are you holding up after the NCAA championships? I'm I'm good, man. It was a crazy week for me. We had a local all-star meet on Sunday. We had the border brawl on Tuesday where... You and I finally got to shake hands for the first time. I, I helped with another event on Wednesday, and then I, you know, I got to do some interviews with you guys on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it was really cool to see how much work uh, you and Travis and the other guys do. I don't know if people that that you know go on the website. I don't know if they can really just appreciate how much work is involved. You know, my friend Mark Ostrander maybe got the interview of the tournament with uh, Dylan Palacio. But so many of you guys put in so much work, and it was it was cool to be a really small part of it. Yeah, we got a uh, Mark got a one on one with the People's Champ, and uh, if you haven't seen that one, um, the People's Champ uh, he gets pretty deep at times, and and that was uh, certainly one of of the uh, highlights of of all the uh, interviews that we put up. I I never went back and counted how many we got, but I know we had. Uh, um, all 20 NCAA finalists on Friday night. We had all 10 champs on Saturday. We had dozens and dozens and dozens of other uh, video interviews from um, various guys throughout the tournament, athletes, coaches. Um, so lots of great stuff up there that uh, people can dive in into that stuff and probably spend hours, days, weeks maybe um, going back and watching that stuff. Um, as we said, the 2017 championships are in the books. Virginia Tech has a new head coach. Penn State has another national title and another blue chip recruit on the way. David, where do you want to start with this week's show? We can start with any of that. I, I do want to give a shout-out to uh, a young man I met this weekend, a guy named Kelly Heineker. His fiance Michaela Bochamp, bought him tickets to the NCAAs, and he made a point of finding me um, – just in, came over, shook my hand, we took a picture just to tell me what a, a big fan he is of uh, the rankings podcast and of, of Matt Chat. So it was, it was really cool to meet him. And a lot of other guys this weekend told me how much they enjoyed it um, or have enjoyed the stuff that you and I got to collaborate on this year. So that was really nice. Um, I guess if you start with the most recent stuff, I guess Teasdale, the, the Penn State, and, and Roby staying at Virginia Tech are probably at the top of the list. Um, I, I had heard about Teasdale about two months ago, and I, I had told you that, you know, off the record, that he was probably going to end up at Penn State. So it, it didn't surprise me at all. I know it surprised a lot of other people. And I know there's a lot of people making comments about early verbals and recruiting and how it's more and more like football. You know, I, I think what people need to understand is 16, 18-year-old kids can can say one thing one day and absolutely mean it can wake up two days later and, and mean something completely different. And they're not dishonest. They're just young people. So, and I also think it's kind of crazy to think that just because a kid gives a verbal that other schools are going to stop recruiting them. I mean, I've recruited for a long time and nothing is really, nothing is final until the kid actually steps on campus and starts school, but it's definitely not final until that kid signs his NLI. So, um, you know, we, I, you know, I'm sure you're like me. We wish him the best there, and Iowa will, will go in a different direction with their recruiting. And 
got a chance to see Tony Roby this weekend. I've known him a long time, and um, I'm just real happy for him. He's 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 as good as it gets as far as a human being goes. So, real happy for him and for Virginia Tech, and, and I think they made a good decision there. Yeah, Teasdale certainly. Uh, you know, you hear rumblings a little bit uh, that, that he may be looking around a little bit, and uh, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting is him and Spencer Lee are super close. And uh, now um, Teasdale, you know, if he indeed winds up at Penn State, Teasdale's going to be training with somebody or training himself to beat Spencer Lee or helping somebody like Nick Suriano train to beat Spencer Lee and vice versa. And so, um, you know, it was interesting from that dynamic that those two guys, Spencer Lee and Gavin Teasdale, committed on the same day. I know they spent a lot of time uh, together um, training through the years, and they also uh, rode out to St. Louis and back um, this past week. And so, uh, uh, you know, that a- adds another element to it. But uh, um, as you mentioned, Iowa is going to go in a different direction. And, and uh, you know, with the success that Iowa has had at, at 125, 133 in particular, um, Hawkeyes are going to have no shortage of guys uh, certainly wanting to, to hop on the boat there and, and – uh, uh, be a part of that and, and train with Spencer Lee. So uh be interesting to see how these recruiting classes shape up when all is said and done, when the uh, when it becomes official in November, when the ink is on the NLI. But a uh, long way to go until then, and, and certainly a lot's going to change. Uh, but uh, um, another blue chipper on the stack that Cale Sanderson has uh, assembled there in State College. Uh, where do you want to go from here, David? We got uh, so much to talk about. Um, you know, hundreds maybe of matches talk, that we had a chance yeah. to watch. And let's maybe talk about the team scores and and kind of how they did versus where we had them ranked, and then maybe we can just dive into the weights one at a time. So, I, I, I kind of wrote down where we had these guys ranked, and obviously all of our team scores are wrong because they don't account for bonus points, but. We did have Penn State ranked one, Ohio State two, Oklahoma State three, Iowa four. We had Missouri and Virginia Tech flip-flop at five and six. And, um, you know, we talked about Joey LaValle being a really quiet 25 and one or whatever it was. Um, We had Minnesota at 11, and they jumped to seven. And a lot of that had to do with Lezak really outperforming his seed. Uh, Cornell, we had eight. You know, most of them were really close. Um, probably the one we had ranked the lowest that jumped the highest was Virginia. We had them at 25, and they, they made it to 15th. But you know, that's really on Mueller not being uh, ranked in the points and scoring and making it to sixth. And then DiCamillo, after three blood round uh, losses, making the finals. And then um, North Carolina we had at 24. And they fell to 41st, and we had North Dakota State at 21, and they fell to 47th. So those were probably the big misses. Everybody else was really, you know, within three or four spots. And, you know, so many of those numbers between, like, you know, 15 and 30 are all just like a pin here and a pin there, and you jump up or or fall back two or three spots. So uh, I think overall, you know, there's always upsets, but the tournament overall worked out where it was pretty chalky in terms of how the team scores turned out. Yeah, a couple uh, SOCON teams cracking the top 30, too. I don't know that we ever had uh, Appalachian State or SIU Edwardsville in the top 30 at any point this year, but uh, 
Um, you know, when programs like that get a guy on the stand and, uh, you know, get multiple guys winning matches, um, you know, they can pop into the top 30 in a hurry like that. Also, uh, Campbell with Nathan Kreiser uh, finishing 38th. I'm not sure that we've ever had a year where three SOCON teams had All-Americans. So uh, uh, certainly a tip of the cap to what's going on in the SOCON. I mean, nobody, you know, we don't hear a lot of talk about programs in that conference, but uh, certainly feels like those guys are making gains down there. Yeah, and big shout-out to uh, Jeremy Spates. Um, you know, he's, SIUE is really close to where I live, and um, he's done a great job. He's really just a patient, patient. Uh, he's a young man, but I call him a kid because I watched him wrestle and we coach guys against him. But he's just done a great job there and so happy for him and the coaching staff and for Residori, uh getting on the stand. That's that's big. And like you said, when teams from – when new teams get All-American and teams from new conferences get All-American, it really is good for the sport. You know, it's, it's how the sport grows. It's how you get – attendance in multiple areas so and you made a really good point that's about a month and a half ago maybe two months ago about how you know like what south dakota state and some of these schools are doing just making their dual meets making their season a big deal and and this will certainly help siu next year and campbell and uh appalachian state and, and a host of other schools you know when they bring all americans back that's huge for pro wrestling everywhere you want to go into the teams that made the biggest jumps this year, the, in the biggest drops? You know, I did a piece yeah, on that here a couple of days ago. Yeah, I saw I'm your article. Run through that well real done. quick. Sure. So, uh, you know, you mentioned Minnesota, and, and they went from 17th up to 7th. They made the biggest jump. They gained 36.5 points over their 2016 total. Biggest difference, as you mentioned, was Ethan Lezak. Redshirted a year ago, chips in with 18.5 points. Uh, this year on his way to the finals. But uh, Gophers also, um, you know, they scored points at just four weights in 2016. They upped that number to eight this year, doubled their All-American count as well from uh, going from two a year ago to four this season. Uh, Arizona State, we talked at the beginning of the year, is you know, targeted them as a team that was really going to rise in the rankings just because of the Valencias, um, putting those two guys, into their lineup to go with Tanner Hall. Then you throw in the other two freshmen that, that performed really well for them throughout the regular season, uh, Josh Maruka, Josh Shields. Arizona State makes a 29-and-a-half-point climb from a year ago, um, going from 36th in the standings up to 14th. And uh, it feels like the Sun Devils have another big move in them a year from now when you, when you talk about adding um, Ryan Milhoff and Jason Sertzis, uh to that lineup. Uh, maybe moving yeah, they, some parts around. I don't, I don't know whether yeah, they're, they're gonna they're gonna have Valencia at the same weights next year. Um, but that's gonna the prime to move to make. next year. They're gonna have a tough decision to make because I mean I talked to Lee Pritz and you know I didn't ask him about it, but I said you guys got a log jam in the middle, and you know if they were all big enough, it would make sense to move Zahid to seventy eighty four and Anthony to seventy four, and then move Maruka and Shields around and get Sergis in the lineup. You know where those three guys are. 49, 57, 65, and then they get, like you mentioned, Milhoff, and then they get Ali Nazer back, too. So, I mean, they're really, really good at, you know, they could be, plus, obviously, Painter Hall, but they'd be really good at eight weights. Um, you know, 
And you're right, they probably have another 30-point jump in them if they do all that. You know, you jump from, you know, where they were a year ago to, to you know, basically 40 points this year. They jump to 70 next year. You know, 70 this year would put them in sixth place. I mean, that, that's they're making big, big leaps there. Number three on the list, Virginia, as you alluded to. Uh, George DiCamillo is run to the finals. Jack Mueller's podium finish at 125. They pick up 26 points. Um, no team climbed higher in the standings in Virginia. The, the Cavaliers went from 48th up to 15th uh, this year. Ohio State picked up 24 points. Uh, they did the addition of Colin Moore, 18.5 points at 197 was the big difference there because the Buckeyes did not qualify a year ago at 197 pounds. Also picked up some points there from Micah Jordan, who went from around a 12th guy to a fourth-place finish this year. Penn State, number five on the list, gained 23.5 points, and it doesn't feel like the Nittany Lions are done adding to that number. Uh, they subtracted... Nico Begalutis at 125 pounds and, and uh, Morgan McIntosh at 197 pounds. Those guys combined for 41 points a year ago when they were both in the finals, and yet Penn State still came out 23 and a half ahead. Uh, the big difference was bonus points. Um, they, you know, Nittany Lions picked up 23 bonus points a year ago. They upped that figure to 33 and a half this year. We talk about South Dakota State. They're number six on the list at 21 points ahead of where they were a year ago. The big difference, of course, Seth Gross making the run to the finals, picking up bonus points in three matches along the way. Jack Rabbits also gained six or five and a half points from Alex Kocher, the All-American who finished eighth at 149. Wisconsin seventh on the list at plus 19 and a half. The biggest difference, of course, is adding heavyweight Connor Medbury back to the lineup. He accounted for 17 of the 19 and a half points. Uh, that, that Wisconsin gained. Iowa picked up 16 points this year. Hawkeyes went from three finalists a year ago down to one and from six All-Americans to five. Uh, but all five placed fourth or better this year, led by 133-pound champ Corey Clark. Iowa also upped its bonus point total from seven from 10 to 17 and a half. That's Very huge nice for on the list. Yep. Yeah, That's huge yeah. for Iowa because they're not historically been a great bonus point team and when you point out that they go up 16 points and if you round it up half of those points just came from bonus that's gigantic and that you know you know I'm listening to you and and a lot of this stuff comes down to like a guy here and a guy there right like South Dakota State it's basically Seth Gross is you know 19 and a half of those 21 you know Medbury 17 of the 19 and a half and it just that's what Penn State has. They have guys that can go super deep in the in the deepest tournaments, and you know I know we'll talk about them. But yeah, that's you know Iowa started bonusing people, and, and Corey Clark should have got extra bonus for that lateral drop on Brands. I think that should have been two more <laughs> two more pinpoints right there. They should have picked up. So. <laughs> Missouri, number nine on the list, plus twelve points. Big difference there. The Tigers tripled their finalist count. Um, you know, getting LeVon Mays and Joey LaValle to go with three-time NCAA champ Jaden Cox. You know, the Tigers certainly could have been a little bit higher on this list as well, if not for the uh, two-time All-American Willie Nicholas. Um, you know, the early season injury there. Edinburgh, 10th on the list, plus 10.5 points um, for second straight year. Every Edinburgh wrestler who qualified for the tournament uh, contributed with at least one victory 
The difference this year, the, the Fighting Scots took eight qualifiers instead of six. And uh, Sean Russell was an All-American who placed seventh this time. On the other side of the coin, the biggest drops, Iowa State uh, fell off 34 points this year. Cyclones plummeted from 12th a year ago to a program worst tie for 57th. Iowa State started the year with three returning All-Americans in Earl Hall, Leland Weatherspoon, and Pat Downey, and only finished with one point, which was generated by Weatherspoon's opening round win at 174. Kent State, number two on the list, minus 28 points. Uh, certainly knew that, that uh, Golden Flashes were, were in for a struggle this year after losing uh, Ian Miller and Mike DePalma, a couple All-Americans who inflated the point total a year ago when, when Kent State finished 16th. Oklahoma, number three on the list, minus 24 points. Uh, we talked about it, David, throughout the year. Sooners had a squad that was really well-constructed for duels, better constructed for duels than the national tournament. Uh, strong, you know, at least eight, nine weights there. Um, but uh, none of Oklahoma's eight qualifiers were seated in the top ten, and that's really not a formula for for putting a lot of points on the board at the national tournament. And uh, if- certainly the graduation graduation of uh, all, uh, four-time All-American um, Cody Brewer and the departure of Ryan Milhoff didn't help either there. Yeah, but it feels like Oklahoma might be on the other side of this next year, right? I mean, you yep, know, like – absolutely. You and I have talked about what a great job Roselli's done there. And, you know, you you got to – you just got to start in the basement and work your way up. So I, I feel like, and, and I know you're not disagreeing with me. I just feel like you're just pointing out numbers, which is awesome. But I, I feel like they'll probably move up 10 to 20 points next year. You know, I mean, they got guys that can place and they got guys that believe in his system. So I think they'll be a team that bounce back for sure. And I, I think the same could be said for North Carolina state, which is number four on this list, minus 23 points. Certainly a team that was constructed a lot like Oklahoma, better for duels than the national tournaments. Um, you know, the Wolfpack qualified all 10 guys, uh, but uh, losing Nick Listowski and Tommy Gant and Pete Renda, having him red shirt, and then losing Max Roshkoff uh, to a season-ending injury early in the year, that took away a lot of the, uh, the individual firepower, the guys that uh, can go deep into the tournament and put up a lot of points. Um Virginia Tech, number five on the list, minus 18 and a half points. Uh, the Hokies were down in All-American to start the season when they redshirted David McFadden. They picked up 14 and a half points this year from Joey Dance, returning to the podium at 125. But, uh, you know, Zach Epperly, who made such a tremendous run through the backside of the, the bracket a year ago when he scored 20 and a half points after an opening round loss, uh, he dropped two matches on Friday. And, and the Hokies didn't get the same kind of production from him. Uh, Penn, number six on the list, 19, minus 15 and a half. They picked up 19 and a half points last year from Casey Kent on his way to a fourth place finish at 174. He went one and two this year. American University, seventh on the list, minus 11 and a half. David Terrell scored 14 and a half of American 16 points at the 2016 tournament. Uh, the Eagles just weren't able to pick up the slack this year. Terrell's brother, Josh, uh, notched a bonus point victory early on. But, uh, you know, he was a guy that we thought maybe could make a run as an 11 seed, but he he got bounced uh, from the tournament Friday morning. Navy dropped 11 points this year. 
Uh, midshipmen uh, got contributions from more wrestlers this year, picking up uh, victories at four weights rather than three. Uh, but Matthew Miller, a year ago, pinned three guys on his way to a fifth-place finish at 184 pounds, and Navy couldn't account for those, that type of scoring from in any of their qualifiers this year. Oregon State, ninth on the list, minus nine and a half. Uh, Beavers started out in a hole when uh, uh, heavyweight Amarvir Desi they lost him to a season-ending in injury in uh, November. He accounted for 15 points last year when he placed fifth. Uh, Stanford minus eight points. Um, certainly, you know, having Connor Schramm and Joey McKenna on the on the podium a year ago, and having both those guys back, neither one of them placed. Uh, that hurt the Cardinal. Uh, Stanford's only All-American was Paul Fox, who accounted for more than half of Stanford's points this year when he finished seventh at 157 pounds. So those are the biggest movers this year. David, you want to take a run through the brackets now? Yeah, just one comment about the points. I remember sitting at Virginia Beach long uh, six, seven years ago. I was talking to Pat Papalizio and a couple of those other guys. I just said, you know, if you can get all ten guys to the tournament, they all lost the first round and they all pinned the guy on the backside. You score 25 points, and 25 points usually puts you in the top 20. And I think all your numbers show this. Like, you know, look at the guys that lost. It's like, you know, Virginia Tech lost because Epperly. You know, uh, Penn lost because of Kent. These are guys, you know, Navy with Miller pinning all those guys. It all comes down to, you know, pins. And, and one guy, it's usually one guy that makes a run that doesn't make the run the next year or vice versa if they're on the good side of the coin. So I think kids need to be aware of – they need to be trying to pin guys as much as possible. It's it's a big reason why you get recruited, and it's a big it's a big difference maker in, in where you place as a team. I mean, you know, three pins is six points, and I'm looking at that's the difference between, like, 15th and 20th this year. It's kind of crazy. So just, just an observation. Yeah, one – one pin on the front side, you can have one guy score one pin on the front side, and it's worth six guys scoring consolation wins on the back. Yeah, yeah. you you got to win on the front and kind of deck people. <laughs> I mean, that's what it comes down to. So, yeah, for sure. So, all right, are we going to dig into the bracket spots and see what we what we think here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start at 125 pounds. Um, certainly, that's the the weight that uh, began the Friday night shakeup a little bit where where stuff uh, started to get a little bit haywire there we saw you know we went into the tournament with ten undefeateds um, I don't know about you but I had a pretty strong hunch that we weren't going to finish the season with ten and uh, <laughs> you know it was just kind of a matter of who we were going to see fall first and the and the first one of the ten uh, was Thomas Gilman going down in sudden victory against Darian Cruz of Lehigh Friday night. And then Cruz finishes the deal, winning a six to three decision against uh, Ethan Lezak of Minnesota. Kind of interesting that two guys that uh, grew up like five minutes apart from each yeah. other out in the Lehigh Valley uh, end up on the big stage. You know, guys that, that were wrestling in Pee Wee tournaments together uh, end up battling it out for a national title. I thought that was a cool story angle. Yeah, I mean, I look at these things and I kind of look at, you know, since we do rankings and sort of talk, we did a, you know, it's kind of a prediction show or 
you know, I kind of look at what did we get right and get wrong. What, and I look at what we got right. Soriano didn't wrestle. We, we were preaching that really since the Oklahoma State duel, like he's not going to wrestle, he's not going to wrestle. Um, I, I think I have a Midwest bias because if I had if I'd have drawn 10 brackets on all, I don't think I ever would have put Darian Cruz in the finals. And that kid's really freaking good. One of the cool things about being on press row is you get all the quotes. That kid is really smart. They have Gabe and, and Santoro and that crew. They did a great job game planning for Gilman and a great job game planning for Lezak. They, you know, Cruz said I had all these scenarios with Lezak if I was up, if I was down, if I had to pick first, if I could defer, if he picked first. Um, so that was real. That was a big impression I got. Um, Kreiser All-American, or Kreiser, excuse me, All-American. And then Piccinini making it all the way through the fourth where, you know, it looked to me like when, you know, if they had announced earlier that uh, Soriano wasn't going to wrestle, then, you know, Piccinini would have moved up the seed. And you're like, well, that would have probably been a lot better for him. It turned out he, he just wrestled his fanny off from from the eighth seed. So, you know, big shout out to him. Dan Cruz, uh, yeah, I'm with you. He was a guy that wasn't on a lot of radars. I don't, I don't think. I don't know if anybody that really was was picking him going into the tournament, and certainly not an easy first round draw with with Dylan Peters, a two time All American, and then you know Dylan's beat up. But uh, uh, that was one where if you're a four seed, the last thing you you want to see is a two time All American first round, and, yeah. and Cruz, yeah. Cruz put him put him away in 52 seconds, and then. Uh, you know, tough matches the rest of the way, really. I mean, he beat Shakur Laney 1-0 in the, in, uh, uh, the second round. He, he got through Sean Fawes 5-2 in the quarters. Um, we mentioned the, the win over Gilman in the semis. And then, uh, uh, you know, Lezak 6-3 in the finals. All of them um, tightly contested matches. But, uh, you know, uh, I was certainly impressed with the way that uh, he performed in clutch situations. I think the other thing that we were right about was we thought Soriano wasn't going to wrestle, and we thought the bracket really did open up for Lezak, and we were right about that. So, I mean, you know, you could also tell that – and one of my impressions overall is sometimes it's not great to wrestle great at your conference tournament. I mean, Ohio State wrestled great. They got passed by Penn State. Oklahoma State certainly didn't wrestle as well as they did. And at the Big 12s, and there are four or five guys that won nationals that didn't even win their conference. So, you know. Yep, Penn State has two conference champions. They end up with five NCAA champs. Yeah. You don't see that every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were, you you know, you were all asking a press row how many schools had ever had five champs, and then had anybody ever had five in a row in consecutive weights? And I think the first answer is Iowa had done it and Oklahoma State, I know, had done it. But I don't think either one of them had had five in a row. So, you know, that was an amazing run there for sure. Yeah, it uh, it's certainly I, – I don't know who you were picking at 184 pounds, but I, I was picking Gabe Dean going in. But then after Joseph and Mark Hall won, I tell, tell you what, I've, it certainly felt to me like Gabe Dean was in some trouble with the tidal wave of momentum that Penn State had built up at that point in the finals. It, it uh, you know, if you would ask me to, to, to make a pick for the finals when, when uh, 84 was starting, I, I think I would have flipped my pick to, to Bo Nickel at that point, you know, for no reason other than just the, the 
you know, the vibe that Penn State had going at that point. Well, it's funny you mention that because Mark and I were sitting there, and, you know, you know me and I, he and I picked, you know, matches all year and set point spreads, and it's all for, you know, 12 chicken wings. <laughs> I made that a pick him, and he picked, I think he picked Dean, and then, like, after Vincenzo, he's like, I want to change it to, to nickel. So he felt exactly the way you did. Um, I mean, it's just crazy that, you know, Gabe Dean's, the only guys he's lost to in the Nationals are Ed Ruth and Nickel, and, and both of them by a whisker. You know, so, I mean, clearly a, a stud and, um, you know, probably has big things ahead of him on the international scene as well. So, You're taking a quick run through the All-Americans at 25. Uh, the champion, of course, Darian Cruz of Lehigh, runner-up Ethan Lezak of Minnesota. Thomas Gilman wrestles back to take third. Nick Piccinini of Oklahoma State finishes fourth. Joey Dance of Virginia Tech fifth. Jack Mueller of Virginia sixth. Sean Russell of Edinburgh seventh. Nathan Kreiser, the first All-American in Campbell history, takes eighth. Moving ahead to 133 pounds, David Corey Clark. Um, you know, we monitored that situation from December on, wondering what Iowa would get out of him with so much going on inside his left arm. Uh, you talk about the, you know, torn ligaments in his wrist. Um that's going to need a, need a surgical repair. He's got uh, um, a shoulder that blew out of socket twice, same arm, and uh, wrestled, of course, with a heavy brace uh, from, you know, mid-January on. And, uh, you know, I've said it, I, I said it three weeks ago or a month ago, and, and 18 years of covering that program, a program built on toughness, and I can't remember anyone wearing a black and gold singlet that's tougher than Corey Clark and yeah I, uh, man. I, wanted to, I didn't see you Saturday night you know because we're in different spots I, I, I know you're unbiased and, and you're as good as it gets in journalism but you had to have a big smile on your face after that match right I mean that's a kid I know you just respect the hell out of I mean it, it you know it, it had to make you feel good right just to watch that kid finally get his title well I root for stories I root for good stories, and Corey Clark was was a phenomenal story this year. With with you know, you throw all of the elements into it, and uh, you know, a guy that had been to the finals twice and gotten beat, and comes back his senior year, and he thinks his senior season's over with at, at times in December, and um, it, things look pretty bleak at that point. You you tell a guy that that uh, he's got something of that magnitude going on in his shoulder. And, and he said there were points where he couldn't raise his left arm two inches. And he's wondering, how am I ever going to take a shot? Um, you know, with, with what's going on in my arm right now? Yeah. And, I and for, yeah. And for, you know, one of the things though, that, you know, I asked Corey about this too, because I, I had heard it from different people in, at the end of December, um, you know, and, and he went from a pretty low point, at the beginning of the month when, when the thing uh, popped out a couple times or, or, you know, he didn't know if, if his season was over. But by the end of December, I'm hearing from people that Corey Clark, in his mind, is saying, I don't care if I can't raise my left arm. I don't care if, if I've got something in there that's torn. I'm going to go out and beat these guys with one arm anyway. And for him to, to change things around, I, I think it's a tremendous testament to what you can overcome when you've got your mind right. And and he certainly had his mind right 
um, by the middle of the season there, by Midlands time. And, and I asked him about it in the post-match interview room there. Uh, I, I, I asked him kind of about the timeline there, and he said there was a time where he walked into Tom's um, Tom Brands' office, and they were talking about it, and on the way out, he, he said to, to Brands, he said, um, hey, I just want you to know I'm going to beat these guys anyway. I don't care you know, whether it's with one arm or two, you can take my left arm and I'm still going to beat these guys. And, and Tom said, I know. And, uh, he's so mentally strong, man. I mean, I watched the interview. I, I listened to you talk about him. I had a guy who I really trust who swore to me in de- December. He's like, that dude is done. He's like, I know his injury. He's done. He goes, I don't care how tough he is. He can't wrestle. And I watched the national final match last night on ESPN on the you know on my DVR. He doesn't even use that arm most of the time. Like he's so good at disguising that it's hurt. And the other thing that you have said to me privately, and Mark Ostrander said to me privately, don't let that guy wrestle you twice. He figures out, you know, he doesn't lose to you if he gets gets to you twice, and he doesn't even lose to you if he gets in the same situation twice. I mean, his winning takedown is the same way that Seth Gross took him down the first time. They just made a little adjustment, took him down. And Corey Clark seems like the kind of guy that, you know, he'd be in the library. Like, you would never know he's a stud. He made that little comment in the press conference where he's like, you know, nobody said nobody said not to pick down. Well, look who had more riding time. That's, yeah. probably, as yeah. much junk, that's probably as much junk as that kid ever talks. And, I mean, yeah. I got yeah, a chance. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, David. So I got a chance to see him in the tunnel, and, you know, he didn't know me from Adam. I just walked up to him, and I said, you know, you don't know who I am. But I said, cannot just tell you how impressed I am by you and how much, you know, how happy I am for you got your title. I don't know that kid. You know, I don't root for anybody. And, you know, I can't root for anybody when you do rankings. But, I mean, man, just, you know, it's like, you if you feel sorry for yourself in your personal life, you're like, well, you know what? I can pick my up, I can pick up my arm over my head, so maybe I'll just suck it up, Sally, and get back to work. You know, it, it, yeah, it's he, amazing. Yep, yep, and uh, you know, I think I think it fired him up a little bit when somebody asked him on Friday night if he was going to take down. And and you think <laughs> about Corey Clark when I. I you know, I've been watching him since he was a freshman in high school, and I can't remember anybody ever riding him. And that was one of the lines that he had Friday night in the interview room was, um, he goes, shoot, I, he goes, Nation a year ago was was carving people up on top. And, and he goes, those are the only points that I scored in the finals. He goes, were the escapes? And he goes, you know, just, <laughs> you know, that was that was one of the things, too, where, where I thought uh, – you know, just watching the first period unfold where, where Gross got on top of him after that scramble takedown and didn't ride him for very long. And, and Clark was getting to getting to some of the ties that he likes to get to, the two-on-one. Yeah. Um, and certainly the longer a match goes, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever really seen Corey Clark get tired. And it, it just, um, by the third period, when he got in on that shot and, and uh, made that adjustment, um, you mentioned it um, really didn't end up in much of a scramble position. And he finished that. I, you know, I, I thought this is Corey Clark's match to win at this point and uh, certainly rode him tough the, the rest of the way uh, to get it done. And, and it, it's interesting. I, I can't think of too many times where 
um, where a guy fell behind in the quarters, semis, and finals and came back and won, a, won each of those matches like that. Um, you know, it, and I was in the back room, didn't get to see how the 165-pound the semifinal played out, but that Vincenzo Joseph might have done it as well because he gave up the first points. I know, and or I, I, I know yeah. he trailed yeah. in the quarters. I know he trailed in the quarters, and I know he trailed in the finals. He did uh, trail but, the uh, He got in a body lock, and he got in a 50-50 with Massa late in the match, and he did the same thing and took down Daniel Lewis late in the match. And obviously, you know, he, he pinned Imar. But, you know, I've, I've watched Iowa from a different perspective than you have just as a fan, as a guy who likes wrestling. Corey Clark reminds me of those old-school guys like Ironside and those kind of guys where you're like, yeah, they might be losing the first period. Like Jurgens, those young guys, you know, the, the lightweight guys, right? But it really doesn't matter because they're going to win the third period. Like, you, you better bring a baseball bat and a lunch and, you know, back in the old days, be able to untie your shoes six times and take three timeouts because they're going to get you in the third period. And that's 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 Corey Clark. And, and I would be remiss. I got to give a big shout-out to Seth Gross and to Chris Bono and, and John Reeder and A.J. Chopper you know, having their first finalist and him and Coaster being their first All-American because Seth Gross absolutely proved that he's better than Cade Brock this year. You know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, question that. And, and he avenged the loss to Montoya, the only guy that beat them all year until the finals, and majored him 11-1. to So, you know, congratulations to Gross for not only making the finals but bouncing back from, you know, a poor decision his year when he was at Iowa and, and really getting himself on the straight and narrow. There's two really great stories at 133 for sure. There's a ton of studs there, that's for sure. Um, Clark yeah. finishes the champ, gross the runner-up. Nathan Tomasello bounces back uh, to take third and finish 24-1. and one. Uh, Stevan Micic takes fourth for Michigan, freshman 29-7 and seven this year. Cade Brock of Oklahoma State finishes fifth. Eric Montoya of Nebraska finishes sixth. Zane Richards of Illinois, seventh. And Scotty Parker of Lehigh, eighth. Anything else you want to cover at 133 before we move on? Now let's talk about what a stud Dean Heil is. Dean Heil, 32-0, wins about 30 close matches this year. I, You know, everybody um, wants to criticize him for his style, and, and it seemed like everybody was picking Dean Heil against Dean Heil. It was almost like if you pick the one seed at 141, you're picking an underdog. <laughs> uh, but Dean Heil, time and again, finds a way to get his hand raised. And it doesn't matter if it's 9-8. to eight, It doesn't matter if it's 3-2. to two, It doesn't matter if he's almost pinning himself against Jimmy Gullibon. Whatever it takes, Dean Heil is finding a way to get his hand raised. And uh, certainly he's got something special about him and that uh, he finds a way to perform in those close matches. I, I think it was tremendously impressive for him to run the table this year. Eric Guerrero told me, you know, I texted him Sunday and said, congratulations, and he said, you know, thanks. And I said, what makes Heil special? And he just said, he goes, the kid is so mentally tough, he's so confident, and, he, you know, he goes, he wrestles without fear in a different way. And we talked about Nolf having not fear to attack. He goes, he has no fear of close matches. And that that is a different kind of bravery. You know, like, all right. You know, I'm wrestling you, and I'm like, man, it's going to be tough. And, you know, maybe I panic. You know, he's like, yeah, it's going to be tough, and I'm going to figure out a way to win. I don't care if it's 
by one second of riding time, I'm going to do it. And you could see that when he won and they raised his hand. Like, a lot of the guys, when they won, were happy. Heil was almost angry, like, you know, like, I frickin' told you so. I told all you people I was the best guy. You know, none of you people respect me. And, and look, I did it again, and I ran the table. You know, so, I mean, I don't care what happens next year. I ain't picking against that guy. <laughs> he's going to have to lose a bunch of matches before I think he's not going to win the tournament. He's just that, he's that good when it counts. Really happy for DiCamillo after three round of 12s to make the finals, you know, happy for Steve Garland and, and Jordan Lean and those guys. And Jay Dyerman was a guy we were high on in the preseason and he moved up, you know, I think he did it because he was having a hard time making it. And then also it helped the team because Matt Manley was hurt and uh, he had a great run, you know, he beat Kolasdik and he beat uh, McKenna. Um, and and you know, Yeah. I mean, that kid in this way is scary. Like, Every weight, it seems like everybody's coming back, and then this weight gets Keyshawn Hayes and Vince Turk and, you know, a bunch of other guys coming back. I mean, it's just kind of scary how good these weights are and, you know, who's who's coming back. So um, Seven of the Chad eight Red, All-Americans have 41 plus, are back next year. Plus Chad plus Red. You mentioned. Plus yep. Kanan Store. I mean, plus Joey you know Montana. what? Yeah, and I'm picking Dean Heil. <laughs> right now, Dean Isle, and 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 big shout out to Kevin Jack too for losing in the quarters and coming all the way back through and taking third. You know, I mean, that that kid's a gamer. You know, he's he's, he's done well at the tournament now. You know, every time he's been there, so super impressive. Isle, the champion, George D. Camillo of Virginia, the senior, finishes his career as the runner-up after three round of twelve finishes. Kevin Jack of North Carolina State, third. Bryce Meredith of Wyoming, fourth. Jaden Ironman, the freshman from Missouri, finishes fifth. Anthony Ashnault of Rutgers takes sixth. Matthew Kolodzik, Princeton, freshman, finishes 30-4 and and seventh. And then Tommy Thorne, uh, the 14 seed from Minnesota, finishes eighth. Um, As you mentioned, a a weight that's going to be absolutely loaded next year. Boy, it's going to be so the, are the first two, though. Deep. Really, I mean, we didn't talk about it, but sort of the first two weights. You know, neither one of them have a lot of guys graduating. I mean, twenty-five loses Gilman and Dance, and and Kreiser, and Kreiser, and then thirty-three loses Clark and Zane, Montoya, and that's it. And Montoya. So I mean, you got five. You know, five out of eight, five out of eight, and seven out of eight so far. I mean, it's it's crazy. So. Let's talk about the Zane train, boss. He, he, he's good at wrestling. <laughs> Zane train, nine matches in the postseason, all Texan pins. He yeah. rolled over people in March. I think maybe he was sick in January. I think we can say that now. You know, when he was gutting out those overtime wins. I mean, you look at his line, tech fall, tech fall, tech fall, fall, tech fall, like, and, you know, I told a bunch of people all year, I said, if, if LeVon Mays ever wrestles Rutherford, he's going to double leg the hell out of him and get the first takedown. And then, then I think Zane will figure, out, figure it out. And that's exactly what happened. Like, I think if you've never wrestled Mays before, I, he's just unbelievably explosive. But I also think if you've never wrestled Rutherford before and you get underneath him, 
Like, I don't know why Mays took down in the third period because he was going to have to take him down three times to win anyway. He was down so far. And that, that was just, you know, that was the demise of him. I mean, you put yourself underneath that dude, and he turns you and he hurts you and he bends you in ways you're not supposed to bend. It's not like he's just cheap tilting you, you know, like you're frustrated. Like, you wake up sore the next day and like, man, I don't want to pick down against that guy ever again. So, absolutely dominant. You know, and this weight besides Colico was really chalky. Almost all the guys, at least in the top six, you know, were there. I mean, and then Kosher and Theobald. Theobald and Kosher, you know, snuck in in the 7-8 match. But, you know, you know, and and the Colica performance is probably what kept them from taking second on paper. You know, a guy who'd wrestled great all year and just had a bad tournament. So, you know, but a, a big a big contributor to that program, four-year starter, a round of 12, round of 12 All-American, and then, you know, obviously a subpar performance this year. But, you know, a guy I know personally was a big leader in that room. So, you know, disappointing for him and for Oklahoma State, for sure. Yeah, it, it was surprising. I mean, the guy had had such a solid senior season and there was really no inkling that, that something like this might happen. I mean, his, his losses were to the two guys in the finals and, and he had had a lot of, a lot of good wins along the way. And, and boy, if you were to, you were to ask me of all the guys from Oklahoma state who were going to, going to be on the stand, I mean, you got eight guys and you give me a choice of who's most likely. I really, I, I might've picked Kalika first out of the eight, just, just in, in how Him and Isle. he had been through. Him and Isle, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They would have been at the top of the list. Yeah. I think you're right. Oh. I was thinking, yeah, I think you're right. You said it was kind of all American. I think it's those two. Yeah. So. Rutherford finishes 28. No, if uh, I'm not mistaken, just off the top of my head, I think bonus points in 26 of those wins, all but the Sorensen and Kalika matches. If I'm not, mistaken um he the front runner for the hodge does he get your hodge vote if you got one david the four guys up for the hodge are what snyder cox him and uh nolf right nolf yep man i I think you flip a coin between rutherford and nolf i mean i'd have to look at all the numbers i mean nolf didn't have any overtime matches right that's the argument for him and then the argument for Rutherford is he absolutely truck drove everybody at the national tournament. So, yeah, right. I mean, right. You know, I, I don't know that you could – I don't know. There's certainly not a definitive answer. I certainly think those two guys, you know, are are leg up on the other two. And it's amazing we had ten guys going and there's, you know, only five of them won, won the tournament. So, yeah, and good news for Penn State is they both come back. So, <laughs> along with their other three national champions. So, they, they might be the favorite next year. I haven't done the math yet, but they might be the favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rutherford, the champ, finishes 28-0. LeVon Mays of Missouri, 23-3, and the runner-up. Brandon Sorensen of Iowa comes back to take third. He finishes 31-5. and He wins a 4-0 decision over Micah Jordan of Ohio State in a match for third. Max Thompson of Northern Iowa, the freshman, finishes 31-7. and seven. Terrific, terrific season for him. Uh, he beats Solomon Chishko uh, for fifth. Chishko of Virginia Tech finishes 25-6. and six. A couple unseeded guys in the seventh-eighth match. Kenny Theobald of Rutgers beat Alex Kocher of South Dakota State. Moving ahead to 157, Nolf doing what 
um, Rutherford did, uh, minus uh, the pins and techs all the way through. He had bonus points all the way through, uh, 27-0 and 0 as a sophomore. He'll take a career record of something in two into his junior season. Uh, 14-6 winner in the finals over Joey Lavalley of Missouri. This is a typical NOLF match where it stays close for a little bit, and then sixth and seventh minutes of the match, uh, boy, he really turns up the heat. And Joey Lavalley wrestled unbelievable, right? I mean, you know, he got pins in two matches, you know, on paper got a good draw against Paul Fox, and then, you know, beat Palacio who had beaten Kemmer. I mean, you know, talk about a guy that jumped levels this last year, you know, LaValle, and, and the rumor is he can make 49. So, I mean, Nolf is special, and, and you know, it, it kind of shows you how good Imar is. I mean, we're talking now about him losing to Vincenzo, but, you know, you said he's a whole bunch in two. The other way to put it about Nolf is he's a whole bunch in Imar. You know, I mean, that's the only guy that's beaten him, and it's been two one-point matches, and then he pinned him the other, you know, Nolte and Imar. So just super dominant. I think, you know, Kemmer really did a great job coming through the back, getting bonus in, you know, all the matches except the third-place match. Joe Smith had a great, you know, great tournament as well, you know, coming back and taking fourth after being banged up this year. You know, Tyler Berger fifth. And, you know, and then and Paul Fox had a big tournament, you know, for – for Stanford, so it, it, you know, once once uh, Palacio beat Kemmer, I actually really thought Lavalley is a good matchup for him because he's as funky as Palacio is. Um, so again, how many of these guys come back? Right, Nolf's back, Lavalley's back, Kemmer's back, Smith is back, Berger's back, Palacio's gone. I think Fox is back. Is Mastriani back? Mastriani is a senior. So six out of eight. Yeah, so, yeah, great. It gets, gets easier for everybody else. Crazy, right? You know, and I mean, these kids are better and better, younger and younger, man. Absolutely scary. So. LaValle is a heck of a story, too. Brian Smith was telling this story Friday night. He said uh, there was a point where he, you know, last year where he asked LaValle to leave. He asked him to leave the program, and and he said, you know, I, I said, you know, you're just not doing it right. Your redshirt year hasn't been all that great. And and I said, if you want to stay, you have to come and give me 10 things that you're going to change. And then the next day he showed up with a haircut. He, he, you know, he, you know, made all these changes, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And, and he said, uh, everything turned around for him at that point. And it's been consistent ever since. And, uh, you know, he finishes with a heck of a junior season, 29 and two. Uh, Nolf, 27-0, and the champ. LaValle, 29-2, and the runner-up. Kemmer, heck of a freshman season, 33-3. and Two of those losses to Nolf, the other one to Palacio. Joe Smith finishes fourth, 16-6 and this season. Uh, boy, rough ride for him during the first half of the season and uh, even, you know, up through February. And uh, puts it together, has a pretty good march. Uh, Tyler Berger, 36-6 and of Nebraska, finishes Fifth, Dylan Palacio, the people's champ. Uh, the people's champ, say. baby. The people's, people's champ, champ. is sixth. You can't take the juke out of Dylan. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Proud of his roots. 
Down when you the... coach JUCO and you wrestle JUCO, you love guys that love that. That's how it is. Or it's a brotherhood. So that was awesome. People's champ, there. eleven and eleven and four this season. Um, he takes six. Paul Fox of Stanford, twenty nine and fifteen, comes in unseated, finishes seventh. Sal Mastriani of Virginia Tech finishes eighth. He's twenty and nine. He goes out twenty and nine as a senior. One sixty five, David. One sixty five was perhaps the most fun way to the tournament. Um, in, in some aspects, in that uh, at least the Vincenzo Joseph experience. I can't tell you yeah, how wrong guy. I was about that guy. I can't tell you how wrong I was about him. And I told you this and privately. You know, I'm like, he gets leads early, and then he sits on them. At least that's what it seemed like in the matches I watched. And he did the opposite at Nationals. He's losing to Lewis. He scores late. He's losing to Massa. He scores late. And then, you know, he wasn't – you could tell he just wasn't scared of Imar. And there's big, you know, like Imar tried to hit him in a slide-by, and then like two seconds later he hits Imar in the same slide-by. Like, I, you know, he's right in the middle of that murderer's row, right? You know, so it's like yeah. you kind of wonder who wins in the room there because the rumor is Casey Cunningham beats the hell out of all those guys. And I, I, I watched Kale when he would, was coaching and would just wrestle a whole practice with Varner. I'm guessing there's days that guys like Vincenzo and guys like Mark Hall don't score very often. And, and, and that's, you know, that's crazy, but it, that kid showed a ton of heart and showed some big stones in how he won those matches. Um, just super impressive. And He's a guy that's jumped levels. I mean, he was a guy that at Fargo got absolutely schooled. I mean, he was injured, but absolutely schooled by Isaiah White. And, you know, now he's the national champion. He stopped a guy who could become a four-timer and put himself in line to be a four-timer. And I think that's an interesting storyline. You know, Imar did his third next year and stopped Vincenzo from, you know, getting in line to be a four-timer. So, I think that's a really, really interesting storyline there. But yeah, that you know, I, it was funny. I was sitting next to Travis Johnson right when they got in that hug with Barrow position. I go, "Uh oh!" He goes, "What?" I go, "Vincenzo's really good." And right when I said it, he hit that inside step and decked him. Man, I mean, but I've seen him there enough. Like he's like Bo Nickel. When you bear hug him, you don't have him. He has both your arms, and. You, you better know that. And my dad teaches a lot of judo, and he likes overs better than unders because when you land, you have the post, and that's exactly what happened. You know, even if you land on your side, the guy with the overs will always win because he has the post. And that's what happened. And he finished him, and there was no doubt he was pinned. It wasn't, you know, it was it was crazy. That place exploded, man, for people that went there. When that place was electric when that happened. Well, I was sitting in the back of the interview room watching it all unfold, and we heard the hockey horn, and the <laughs> hockey horn, we were catching it probably about 10, 15-second delay back there, so we knew somebody got stuck. And, uh, you know, back there watching it, and we, we didn't know who it was going to be, but, uh, you know, we knew something big was coming up. The one thing that, that kind of – one of the big takeaways for me from the tournament was just how comfortable – how, how comfortable those Penn State guys are in every position, particularly when they go upstairs. And, you know, 
it's not a it, it's not a fifty fifty position for them. Um, right. They just they just look so comfortable in such a match changing position. Well, especially with when you can pin from there, especially with four point near falls, right? Like you know, like you mentioned the thing, you know, one pin on the front is worth six backside decisions. Well, you know, one throw is worth you know five takedowns and four cuts. You know, I mean, it's the same thing. So, you know, it's – and you're right. I mean, they, they – especially at 65, 74, 84, they look super comfortable up there. Um, I don't know how much Nolf likes to be in that upper body stuff, but he moves so much you ever can't ever get a hold of him. And really the same way with Zane. But, you know, Mark Hall's fine there. Bo Nickel wants you there, and clearly Vincenzo wants you there. So kind of scary, you know, I mean, like – a lot of these guys that are really good at leg attacks are like, all right, well, you know, let me bring them upstairs and see if they panic. Like, nope, that's not a good plan either. So, I mean, you know, the knock on Kale for a long time was he was just a great recruiter, and it's obviously absolute garbage. I mean, they're, they're getting – those kids get better there. Yeah, he gets great recruits, but they get better. And, you know, there's you can, you know, look at where those guys, who they were on an even level with in high school – and then look what they've done in college. And, you know, that room is – they're getting better, and they stress that they have fun. And, and I think because they stress that, they don't worry about the result. They just worry about going out there and having fun and scoring points. And, you know, they've had leaders like David Taylor who's thought that way, and now they've got guys like Nolf and Rutherford and those guys that think that way. And, you know, when Rutherford's gone, they'll still have Nolf, and when Nolf's gone, they'll still have Nicole and Hall and Vincenzo. Doesn't seem like they're going to be short on leadership for a long time on guys that are wrestling for sure. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think they're having fun because they're whipping tail, or are they whipping tail because they're having fun? I think the first one for sure, right? Like yeah. the greatest, you know, winning is the greatest cologne or you know stink cover in the world, right? I mean, you know, you know, you and I can absolutely hate each other, and we go out and win a world doubles title, and all of a sudden we're best friends. But they, I listen to the interviews, like, I listen to the interviews, like, that Kale does, and, like, one of the things that struck me was how positive he was about George Carpenter after he wrestled Kate Brock. He's like, man, he wrestled really hard, and that other guy's really good, and he got the last takedown. He's always positive about his guys in public. I mean, I'm sure he gets after him in private. But that's how it should be. It's almost like a parent, right? Like, you don't ever air your dirty laundry out. You know, you take care of it, at, you know, behind closed doors. And I think those kids know he really has their back. And the other thing when you listen to Kale is he's always giving credit to Cody. He's always giving credit to Cunningham and to Varner and to Lynch and the other guys on the staff. And, I mean, I think it's really easy then for these guys, when the head coach is acting that way, to share what they know with each other. It's like, well, that's what you better do because that's what we do here. So, I mean, you're right, though. If they start taking sixth and, you know, guys are, you know, getting pinned in the quarterfinals, it may not be as fun. But I think the one thing they do that is fun for us is they try to score points. They don't try to wrestle four to three, three to two match, you know. Right. And, right. You know, so I think and that I, that's good for the sport, right? I mean, that's a way – if you're trying to get new yep. fans – Nine eight is better than three to two for sure. Yep. If you're trying Absolutely. to draw in casual people. 
Absolutely. And I, I think part of the reason for that is just because they step out there on in the mat and competition and NCAA championships in some aspects um, is, is almost a step down in competition. I mean, when, when, you know, is Jason Nolf going to find anybody tougher at 57 than Zane Rutherford? And is Rutherford going to find anybody tougher at 49 than, than Jason Nolf? And, or and go up and down Malinaro. the list. Or yeah, Frank exactly. in the room. <laughs> you know, and you got David Taylor in there. You got Jake Barner in there, Casey Cunningham, um, yeah. so on and so forth. I mean, look at, look at the training situations at 165. Vincenzo Joseph versus what Isaiah Martinez has. And, you know, I don't know how much Mark Perry rolls around with him anymore, but I – I, you know, and this is no knock on Illinois because you could say this about, you know, 70 programs out there, you know, they just do not have the same fleet of training partners um, that that Penn state has. And and you're seeing um, improvement at a more rapid level in some of those weights in that program. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, you know, we stepped up the recruiting one year at Merrimack and we went from having two national champions in 37 years to three in one year. And I remember a guy goes, did you start teaching these guys new moves? And I just busted out laughing. And I'm like, no, we finally got guys that can do the moves we've been teaching all along, you know, but it, it is both, right? Like you have to get, you have to get guys to buy in. Like, look, you, you will win here. You will be successful here. You will achieve your goals here. And then you have to deliver. You have to get them other guys to train with. And these kids now, I mean, social media, everybody's friends with everybody. Like, you know, we had guys that recruited half that team for us. You know, like, hey, you know, Andy, go call so-and-so about coming here, and then I'm going to call them. They're like, cool, coach, I got you. And, and that's what happens. And these guys all talk to each other. They're all, you know, tweeting with each other or Instagramming or Snapchatting or whatever the hell 18 to 21-year-olds do. And, it, you know, Great attracts great. It's just how it works. I mean, that's why, you know, Penn State's great. That's why Ohio State's great. That's why Oklahoma State's great. That's why Iowa's great. And that's why there's a bunch of other programs trying to knock on the door. It's a chicken and the egg. Once you get great, it's easier to bring kids in, but it's the hardest thing in the world to get great to begin with without those kids. So, but they got it rolling. And you could actually make an argument besides the five guys that will be ranked number one in the preseason. You could make an argument that Suriano's the preseason number one because he's one of two guys to beat Cruz. I mean, I'm not going to rank him number one because he didn't wrestle and Cruz won it, but he's going to be ranked awfully high. I mean, he's not going to be ranked lower than like fifth or sixth. So, I mean, it, it's scary. That 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 team is scary, 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 for sure. So, and also a big shout out to Logan Massa. I think he beat Isaac Jordan four times this year. That that's mind that's mind boggling to me how good Isaac Jordan is and and he beat him the, I think the last time the worst eleven to two. Yep. So yep. What do you think we're gonna see on I from Imar coming back as a senior is dreams of seeing a four timer or a crush now. Will we see a better Imar or will we see? Do you think do you think Vincenzo Joseph is gonna keep getting better and he's gonna he's gonna hold the upper hand on him next year? If indeed they both stay at 65, I think both. I think Vincenzo will improve. I don't think Imar is going to any book further up than 65. I mean, he went to 65 just so he could get ready to make the world team at 63 at 74 kilos. That's the only reason he did it. So I mean, he can still make 57. 
or at least he could when he made that decision. So, you know, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm our, everything I've seen and heard about the kid is he's a winner. He doesn't take the easy path. And I think it's like anything else. We all lose way or learn, excuse me, way more from when we lose than when, from when we win. I think that dude will come back like a ball on fire, just like he did last year when he lost to Nolf. He came back and figured out a way to beat him twice. And it shows you how good Imar and Jason Nolf and all these guys are, that these are the kind of matches that are happening. I mean, it's the level of wrestling right now is just crazy good, man. It's just, you know, I remember John Smith said to me five years ago, he's like, these guys are better than I was. And I thought he was crazy. Um, and I think he's just being super humble, but because you know they haven't done what he did on the international level. But he's like collegiate wrestling just keeps getting better and better. And he's like, you have to, you know, you have to keep evolving, or you're, you're end up going to, you know, you can't just be teaching what you taught five years ago, or else you're going to get passed up. I mean, I remember when Jordan Oliver used to do that little ankle wizard and put everybody in their back. Now nobody does it because everybody knows the counter. So I mean, it's. Just the wrestling gets better and better, and it's, if you're a fan, it's super cool to watch for sure. One sixty-five, the champ Vincenzo Joseph of Penn State finishes twenty-two and four. It seems like uh, ancient history ago that uh, second match of the year he dropped that eighteen-twelve decision to Keaton Subject <laughs> of Stanford. Uh, but we certainly saw incredible growth from him throughout the season. Isaiah Martinez thirty-one and one goes into his senior season with two defeats. Logan Massa of Michigan, 32-3 and three as a freshman. He takes third, defeats Isaac Jordan of Wisconsin, 11-2 in the battle for third. Jordan finishes 28-6. and six. Chandler Rogers, Oklahoma State, finishes 25-8. and eight. Beats Daniel Lewis of Missouri, 9-6 in the bout for fifth. Lewis finishes 28-6. and six. Chad Ryder, Chad Ryder of Walsh. Chad Walsh of Ryder, <laughs> 33-4 as a junior, his second podium finish. He beats Brandon Womack of Cornell, who finishes 34-11. I believe Brandon Womack is, is like the first All-American from Alabama in, in I want to say, 60, 70-some years. Um, so congratulations to Brand, Brandon Womack, finishing eighth. Moving ahead to 174, we knew that this weight was going to be bonkers, and uh, it certainly was. Mark Hall, 5-2 winner over Bo Jordan, continuing that Penn State run in the finals. Mark Hall finishes 31-3. and three. David, what did you think? Did you think it was a takedown for Hall? Did you think it was 2-2? Two and two? What, what was your take on that position? in that Matt side scramble? Well, I thought Jordan had a takedown. And then the interesting thing is when you challenge that, they can't say it's, it's two and two. Yeah. If you, if they take, if they give Jordan the takedown, the action stops there and they restart in referee's position. So the right call was probably two and two, but because of how the rules are, they can't make that call at all. And I don't know how you fix that. I actually just did a match chat interview with a referee and talked about a bunch of this stuff. And the other thing is that you have to challenge the right thing. Like if you don't ask for the right thing, even if they see it, they can't change that. Like if 
somewhere in there they saw a guy pull a singlet. That that's not allowed. That they go, oh, well, by the way, we saw this. Like, well, no, that doesn't count. So I, I know this. Mark Hall is an absolute stud, and you talk about growth, like Vincenzo and Keaton's subject. You know, Mark Hall huge growth from losing to Brucky, and from when he came out of redshirt losing to Alex Meyer, and and where the Carver Hawkeye moment seemed like it was big for him. Um, I'm not sure who's really better between him and Zahid, and I'm not really sure who's better between him and Bo Jordan, but you know what? Champions find ways to win matches, and that kid's a champion. He's been a champion at every level that he's ever wrestled, and he fully expected to win. And some of that's not coachable. Some of that's just having gone all over the world. That comes from, you know, hey, you know, this summer I leg-laced a guy and won the world title in less than 45 seconds. You know, so even if I get in a weird scramble, I'm going to hang onto a leg and come out on top. Um, but he does get sandwiched in that position a lot because he's small for the weight. So he's learned how to wrestle out of those situations. But we've said it all year. He's, you know, like Bo, Bo Jordan looked like his big brother. They didn't look like they're in the same weight. But Hall's so good. His positioning so good. His level changes are so good that he, he ends up negating a lot of that just with his movement and with his really just his math savvy. So it's, it's impressive for sure. And Zahid was impressive coming back through for third. I mean, getting a pin in a major, you know, a lot of guys fold up their tent when they get beat. And he did the opposite and came back and scored big points for ASU, not only with the placing points, but with the uh, bonus points as well. 74 was a lot of fun. It started off with, uh, you know, Crutchmer going down against Jake Rezidori in, uh, you know, their Thursday morning. He comes back and, and beats Rezidori for seventh, made a good charge through the backside. Um, you know, Friday night, uh, the semis were absolutely bonkers with uh, Real Buto having, <laughs> what, a 7-2 lead in the third period? I think it was 7-2 in the third, wasn't it? I think so, Maybe it was yeah. 7-2 in the second. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, it was 7-2 to two at one point. Bo Jordan comes back from that uh, uh, Real Buto. Um, I don't know if he, if he had a do-over, if he'd try to go big move again. Um, or if he just turned down and, and you know, give up the takedown and get an escape. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, the headgear pull, um, lots of drama at 134 pounds on will, Friday will night. The headgear pull will stick there for a while, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, you go out after the round, a lot of people will say, like, hey, you had this ranked right or ranked wrong, and it's like, look, you know, just because you have it ranked a certain way, you may not even believe that's how it's going to turn out. I mean, if you're beating me 14 to nothing and I reach back and, you know, high school Harry headlock pin you, I'm going to get the seed above you or the ranking above you, but that doesn't mean I'm a better wrestler. And I'm not picking that out in any particular case, but we both watched a ton of matches where guy A won and you go, I would probably bet on guy B on the rematch. But what was interesting to me was how many guys did that again against, Big changes, like Jack Mueller, you know, against uh, uh, Dance, and then, you know, Lezak, or uh, Cruz against Lezak, and you can go through it. You know, Corey Clark, you know, how many guys did he beat that he lost to? You know, I mean, you just go through it and through it, and Seth Gross beat Montoya, and I mean, and I'm just talking about frontside matches. You know, in, in investments, they always have this phrase, past performance does not guarantee future results, and I mean, 
couldn't be more true of the National Wrestling Tournament. All it does is get you a spot in the bracket, and we've talked about that all year, and then it's time to go, you know. So it's 74 was bonkers. And you kind of knew it was going to be bonkers when a freshman's the number one seed. Just, you know, stuff like that can happen. You know, it's, and, and Zahid's the real deal. I'll be interested to see if they move him up. Um, but, you know, he was talking about wrestling Mark Hall the next couple of years, so I don't think he was thinking about moving up, you know, as, as of Saturday morning, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just bonkers because of a freshman in the, being a one seed, but you also had – three returning All-Americans being double-digit seeds and, and Alex Meyer, Leland <laughs> Weatherspoon, Casey Kent. And, you know, we just don't see that happen all that often. It was a wait that, you know, throughout the year um, felt like there were about 12, 13 guys that, that could make a, a run to the semifinals and you wouldn't be all that shocked. And, and uh, you know, Meyer was, you know, what was Meyer, the 12 maybe? or, or um, In the 11 seed. 11 seed, Okay. You know, he had that match in the, the quarters against Bo Jordan where everything was going his way for, for five minutes where, you know, Alex Meyer typically is a guy that falls behind early and comes on late in the end. And that was one where, where Bo Jordan had to beat Alex Meyer in the third period when Alex Meyer seems to be at his toughest. And he, he found a way to do it to come back and win that quarterfinal match. A couple takedowns in the third or maybe a reversal on a takedown in the third to get it done. So at 174, Mark Hall, the champion, 31 and three. Bo Jordan, the runner-up from Ohio State, 18 and two. Zahid Valencia, tremendous freshman season, 38 and one, finishes third. Miles Amin, another uh, freshman from Michigan, three of the top four at 174 freshmen. Miles Amin, <laughs> 31 and seven. A couple seniors in the fifth. Place bout Brian Realbuto of Cornell, twenty-seven and three, beats Zach Brunson of Illinois. Brunson finishes thirty-two and eleven. Kyle Crutchmer, um, Oklahoma State comes back, avenges that first-round loss. He finishes twenty-three and seven, beats Jake Residori of SIU Edwardsville, who finishes twenty-four and fourteen. One eighty-four was the showdown the one that we've been talking about all year long, Bo Nickel, 4-3 over Gabe Dean. Bo Nickel, 26-1, Gabe Dean, 34-1. David, uh, classic match there in the finals. Yeah. What are your takeaways yeah. on 184? Well, you know, Dean got that first takedown, and he finished so clean. And you know it's not over, but you're like, man, he's going to be able to get to his legs again. And I think if you – thought Dean was going to win. You thought, okay, the height will actually help him. He's too strong to get thrown. He's too solid to get thrown. And he's going to be able to, his, his fundamentals and being orthodox will, will beat Nichols' funk. And then Nichols got that takedown and it got the ride out. And then you're like, uh-oh. You know, I mean, we always counted them as like one-point takedowns and two-point takedowns. You, know, you take me down, ride me out, that's a two. You take me down, I get out, it's only a one. And Nickel's defense is really good. I mean, it's another – Nickel clearly won the match. There's no controversy, I don't think. There's, you know, that little quarter Nelson where Dean kind of had him on his back, but it was such an unorthodox position. And, I, you know, I, the rumor I heard was Cornell didn't have any more challenges, but I don't know if it would have mattered anyway. I mean, I think the right guy won the match based on how the match went. 
Um, I also think Nickel probably losing a Big Ten has probably helped him because it didn't hurt him at all in the seeding. And I think it probably just refocused him. And he's he seems like, a, I mean, he went tech fall, 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 and then beat a legend in the finals. So he beat the guy who was probably as much of a front runner for the Hodge as anybody. Yeah. I mean, yep. you know, he was in there with, with Nolf and Rutherford, Dean was. But, you know, I think Dean he was the front runner. Yeah. Dean had a weird tournament. I mean, Jack Deckout gave him everything he wanted in the quarters. So, and then Gabe Dean went 21-12 with Michael Coleman from Navy, gave up like two takedowns or maybe three in the first round. And, and that's the hard part about when you're watching the tournament. You can't, you just can't, there's matches you miss. Just because there's too many matches going on at once. And then there's even, it's even crazier if you're running back in the tunnel trying to get interviews. Like, I don't, I didn't even know who won the deck out Dean match because I was down there waiting for an interview with, I can't even remember who I was out. I interviewed Sammy Brooks and I interviewed Nolan Boyd and Mark interviewed Bo Nickel. And then we just waited for Dean or deck out and nobody came back <laughs> to come out and ask you who won. I mean, so it's kind of crazy sometimes. So, Gabe Dean won, by the way. Just thank breaking, you. <laughs> breaking, breaking news there for you. Gabe Dean won that match. TJ Dudley, I have to, you know, give that kid a lot of credit. I mean, he came back to it and took third in an absolutely loaded way. So, you know, and and I think taking third a lot of times is harder, harder than taking second because you have to win, a, you know, at least two matches when you know you're not going to be the champion. So, um he wrestled really well for Nebraska as well. So Bo Nickel, twenty-six and one, he is the champion. Four-three winner over Gabe Dean of Cornell, who finishes thirty-four and one. Two-time champ, three-time finalist, four-time All-American. Gabe Dean never finishes lower than third. Tremendous career. Tim Dudley of Nebraska, thirty-three and five, pinned Sam Brooks of Iowa for third. Brooks finishes twenty-eight and four. Miles Martin of Ohio State finishes fifth. He finishes with a thirty-two and nine record. He beats Nolan Boyd of Oklahoma State, ten-six in the bout for fifth. Boyd finishes twenty-four and seven as a senior. Drew Foster of Northern Iowa finishes twenty-six and six. He beats Nate Jackson of Indiana, 11-7 in the bout for seventh. Jackson finishes 33-6 and six as a uh, – who said here is a junior? Is he a junior or is he a senior? I think he's a senior, senior isn't he? He's a yeah. senior. I listened to him and Dwayne Goldman's Hawk in the Tunnel. He's definitely a senior. Okay. So that's, that's, that's the way where some guys actually graduate, right? Dean graduates, Brooks graduates, Boyd graduates. Dudley. Dudley graduates and Jackson graduates. So that's a weight that's, you know, relative, maybe not who's going to win it is open, but you're going to have some new guys all American there. And, and Deco, even though he didn't medal, he graduates as well. So. Flipping forward to 197 pounds, Jaden Cox, the first three timer in Missouri history, 28 0 this season, really controlled things. Uh, it was not like the Southern scuffle that went down to the wire. It was 8-2 against Brett Farr of Minnesota. Uh, really in control from start to finish. Pretty impressive performance. I think we just saw a different Jaden Cox um, from about mid-January on after they gave him uh, that weekend off. Just a, a refreshed, refocused, re-energized 
Jaden Cox. Um, what did you see there, David? Well, I got a chance to visit with John Smith at the Big 12s, and, you know, John's one of the only guys who really knows what, like, Jaden Cox and Snyder are going through, like, going back to college. And I said to him, I know Jaden's family fairly well. I recruited his older brother. And uh, I said to John, I said, it seems to me like Jaden might just be bored. And he goes, well, I don't know if he is, but I was. And he told a couple stories about it. He goes, it's hard when you wrestle at that level to come back to this. He goes, this level is what most guys aspire to. He goes, but when you get to a level above that, he goes, it's hard to just not feel like you're going through the motions. And I remember watching Jaden in the Oklahoma duel, and he beat Brad Johnson like two to nothing, like on an escape and riding time. And, you know, he gave up two takedowns to Colin Moore. He wrestled a really close match with Jared Hot. And, I mean, I'm looking at his scores, and it's fall, 12-3, 10-1, 6 Like, he opened up, and when he opens up, that's why he's so scary. You know, he's he's really, really good, and he's just the nicest kid you'd ever meet in the world, really humble. Um, he was actually at Border Brawl Tuesday, and I was sitting there talking to him and Will, uh, Kyman Gadsden, and, you know, just they're just the nicest guys in the world. So, you know, I'm from St. Louis. You know, I, Kathy Cox is, is a friend of my family's. Um, Dre is as well, so I couldn't be happier for, for Jaden and, and for Missouri. Missouri had an unbelievable tournament. I think uh, Brian got coach of the year, right? Yep. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, it was it was a cool thing, and shows you how crazy that the national tournament is that that was the leadoff match and not the final match. You know, Absolutely. I mean. So, but just a nice, yeah, nice, gonna... nice kid. Yeah, we're going to let the two Olympic uh, champion or Olympic uh, bronze medalist and the Olympic champion set the stage for everybody else. They're going to be our warm-up act on Saturday night. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. This this weight felt fairly chalky, though, right? I mean, you know, the top. I mean, the top eight Four. spots weren't by the top ten seeds. So there really wasn't weren't too many upsets, and we talked all along how if McCutcheon got the wrong draw just based on his size, he was going to have problems. And Hot was a bad draw, and Studebaker was the absolute worst draw he could have had on the back. You know, so that was, you know, that was when you looked at the draw like this is going to be a problem for him. So, so Jaden Hot, champ, twenty eight zero. Brett Farr, the runner up, thirty one and three from Minnesota. Colin Moore. Tremendous freshman season from Ohio State, 33 and four. Uh, he pinned Jared Hot of Virginia Tech in the Balfour third. Hot finishes 28 and four. Aaron Studebaker of Nebraska, 33 and 10, finishes fifth with a win over Preston Weagle from Oklahoma State, 22 and eight. Ryan Wolf of Ryder, Ryder, a couple All Americans. Ryan Wolf finishes 24 and six. He beats Kevin Beasley of Old Dominion. Two to one in the bout for seventh. Beasley finishes twenty-five and eight. Moving on to heavyweights, um, boy, sure looked coming into this thing like there wasn't going to be much suspense. And then Kyle Snyder hurt the rib, and then all of a sudden, um, we've got a little drama here on Friday. He didn't look real good in the quarters, and looked like he was in a lot of pain. And yet he finds a way to 
to really win this thing uh, rather comfortably. Um, never in a whole lot of danger with a major over Jacob Casper uh, in the semifinals and comes back, really controls things against Connor Medbury, wins a 6-3 decision. Uh, David, we saw another element of Kyle Snyder's game, and that's mental toughness. I mean, we've seen it before, but but to perform with an injury um, just kind of adds to, to the legend there. Yeah. I remember the interview I got to do with Jay Jaggers, and Jaggers said that he gets – that Snyder gets so tired that they actually – he's going to – it looks like he's going to hyperventilate. He's just going to, like, pass out in practice. And – you know, that he's part of what makes him great is that he just pushes himself so much harder than anybody else. And, you know, you kind of wonder when he gets hurt, because Snyder's not like everybody else, right? Like, he's almost doing Ohio State a favor by wrestling for them, you know? So, like, well, maybe he was just last year sh- when he was walking on, right? I mean, he was staying <laughs> his own way. He was the best walk on in college wrestling history last year. <laughs> The greatest recruiting job in the history of recruiting. Bar none. <laughs> drop the mic. The show is over. So, I mean, so you don't know if he's going to wrestle, and then you see he's going to wrestle, and then he gets in the finals, and he gets in that position. And to me, that was the most iconic, like, four seconds of the finals, like when he's in that deadlift position, and then he picks him up, and you know, I saw the interview with ESPN right when he comes off the mat, and, you know, Quinn Kesnick is, like, just bubbling, you know, about what a credible lift it was. And he goes, yeah, I, I work out with strong guys all the time, so I knew I could pick them up. <laughs> it was like he was picking up the groceries. <laughs> That's about how excited he was about it. So he, seeing Jaden Cox and him go back-to-back, they're not the most exciting guys of the ten guys that want it, but they are the best. They're the best guys, and they've proven that by being at the next level. And neither one of them will probably win the Hodge, but it just shows you how good collegiate wrestling would kind of get such good hands. Um, I got a chance to interview Snyder. I can't remember what Toronto was. It was the quarters and just was really, really uh, impacted by just how humble he is and He's a guy that I think just gets mobbed by people and, and and treats everybody with dignity and with respect and without arrogance. So he's just a super impressive guy to be around. So And the other thing is I think Connor Medbury wins the Nationals about 70% of the time if he's in a different year, that's for sure. You know, I mean, so. Yeah, but we, we talked about this a little bit too. Um, you know, just what a – a revolution we've seen at the heavyweight class and that uh, talking about guys that are putting up 20 plus points in matches. I mean, you know, Kyle Snyder, Ty Walls, Connor Medbury putting up points. Um, Michael Crails won by Tech Ball in the ball for seventh. And 17 points in the ball for seventh. I mean, we just, we're just seeing so much more wrestling, you know, compared to what things were like 10, 15 years ago where, or that was a wait for pummelers. And, uh, right. you know, you know, looking at the matches here, um, six, three in the title match, five, four in the match for third, four, three in the fifth place match, 17, two, um, just going down the brackets too. I mean, it's just to see a guy like Ty walls who, uh, um, put 11 points on the board in his 
I, th- I think is uh, is one of his matches on Thursday. I'm pulling up the bracket right now, but I got it here. Ty Wall's eleven four, nine five. Eleven four. Yeah, fifteen to four. Yeah, yeah. Not real happy with the way he wrestled to start the tournament, though. I mean, you know, just you know, we're accustomed to seeing Ty Walls put twenty on the board, and he only put twenty on the board in two matches, and so felt like he was in a little bit of a slump. But just looking at some of these double-digit point totals, um, first round one, two, um, three. Uh, four bouts in the first round where there were double-digit point totals. Another one that had, you know, uh, Thomas Haynes scored nine points in his opening round match. Um, second round, Snyder putting 22 on the board. Um, you know, just just we're we're not accustomed to seeing these kind of point totals at, at heavyweight, and that's that to me was one of the really cool things of what's transpired here in the last couple of years. And you can credit uh, Snyder and Walls and Medbury and Gwizdowski and you know, a, a bunch of other guys uh, for doing that. Nick Neville scoring some points, too. I, I think it's really cool to see. It is. They look like big 197-pounders, you know, and they're just, you know, guys that are blown up, and that's great. It's, again, it's great for the average fan to not just see two guys going belly-to-belly belly and leaning on each other, you know. The other thing is Tanner Hall just had an unbelievable tournament, right? Like, yeah. I mean – he, you know, he, he makes the quarter, loses to Medbury, and then comes back and beats Hermita, Desjardins, Casper, and Walls. Like, yeah, wow. he, he probably he was probably pretty sore on Sunday morning, you know, but just that really bodes well for Arizona State as well. So, yep. Yeah. The, tur- the tournament never no. disappoints, boss. It never does. No. So, real quick. Heavyweight Snyder seventeen and zero, the champ six three winner over Connor Medbury twenty nine and two. Tanner Hall of Arizona State you mentioned and he finishes third thirty five and six as a sophomore five four tiebreaker winner over Ty Walls of Virginia Tech who finishes his senior season twenty six and four. Nick Nevels of Penn State twenty five and five as a sophomore downs Jacob Casper of Duke in sudden victory. A uh, 4-3 winner there, Casper. 30-6 and six as a junior, Michael Crails of Minnesota finishes 7-31-11. Denzel Dijernet, Appalachian State, 30-9 and nine as a senior. So that does it, David. Anything else you want to add to this? Now, I'm going to try to put together the preseason rankings for next week. It won't include red shirts. It won't include transfers. It'll just be off the bracket. Um, to kind of get, we'll probably only rank like 16 deep, you know, because 30, maybe 20, it just depends on how many there are at every weight. But it'll give us something to talk about, and then we can start adding guys, you know, like an Adam Kuhn in, you know, guys like that. I guess the other thing that was interesting is, you know, and it, it happened right afterwards, but Tishon Campbell is transferring to Ohio State. So that's, that's relevant. Um, I mean, because that was a weight where they didn't qualify this year, or if they did, they went 0 2. So, I mean, that's a big upgrade for them right there. I think he was the 10 seed this year. So, um, you know, yeah, they're, they're you doing what with... Yeah, I was just going to say, you put put him in that room with, uh, you know, Miles Martin, Bo Jordan. Um, interesting yeah. to see what kind of improvement he makes over the next year. And they get, you know, they probably redshirt Fletcher and get Keyshawn Hayes back, right? So, you know, I mean, they've got, 
if they can figure out 25 and 57, you know, they're obviously really good at 33. They'll be good at 41. They're really good at 49. They'd have Campbell at 65 and then Martin it's and the last four, the last four weights are pretty set. Right. So, I mean, you know, what's crazy is that team would win nationals a lot of years. I remember again, when we interviewed Jaggers, he was like, you know, the year we won it, it only took like 105 points. He goes, I have a, a, a bad feeling it's going to take a lot more points than that. And, and he was right. So um, it was interesting. You know, I I said to somebody before the term, they said, how many points do you think it'll take to win it? And I said, I think the first team to 110 gets there. I probably I should have said the first team to 111 because Ohio State did get to 110. But it just felt like that was the magic number. So, um but it, things really line up next year. I mean, Penn State brings everybody back. Ohio State brings everybody back, but Campbell and and Campbell, excuse me. Okie State loses forty nine, who was great all year, but did you know they don't lose a lot of national points from him, and then they lose seventy four and eighty four. They got some guys in the wings. Iowa's probably the team in the top four that loses the most, where they lose twenty five and thirty three. And eighty four and seventy four and eighty four, yep. 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 And then and Missouri 41. loses Yeah, and forty one. And Missouri loses forty nine and ninety seven. Um Virginia Tech I know loses twenty five and and heavyweight. So you know, but Minnesota brings a lot back. Cornell loses a lot of their points with, with Dean and Rio Buto. Um, in Nebraska, I know graduated Montoya and uh, Dudley just off the top of my head. So um, Lambert as well. Yep. Yeah, you look at a team like Michigan; they have forty-seven and a half points, and they probably redshirted another forty-seven and a half points. So you know, it'll be really interesting. You know, like I said, I'm going to put those rankings together and give us something to talk about, and then you know, we'll probably add some redshirts in, and then start adding recruits in, and. Um, but it, it, it's going to be fun and then start looking at guys that might jump up and down weights. But, uh, I love the nationals. I love the nationals when they're here in St. Louis. Cause you know, I get, it's, I get to play host to a lot of people, but, uh, just most importantly, it's just, I, I wish I was that good that I could have wrestled at that stage and been, you know, on Saturday night watching it or wrestling in it. Cause it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. And it was cool to be a, to be a small part of track this year. So thank you for everything and, and letting me be a part of that. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for your contributions, David. Been extremely valuable. And uh, thank you to everybody who's tuned in this year. Greatly appreciate that. And uh, we will be delivering a lot of content in the off season. We'll be checking it. You know, we're not going to put college wrestling to bed and, and uh, just leave it alone here for the next, uh, you know, six months we're going to be uh covering stuff throughout the off season we'll be uh doing some really cool things throughout the season or throughout the summer i don't want to give away too many of our secrets but uh lots of cool stuff on the way so keep checking back to trackwrestling.com thank you david mercatani as always for your time and insight thanks for having me for, that will do it for our ranking podcast this season show.
show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.